everyone. Welcome back to TTT, the Talking Transport Transformation Podcast brought to you by TUMI, the Transformative Urban Mobility Initiative. In many cities worldwide, car traffic has been given priority over pedestrians and cyclists. However, the social benefits of active mobility have been widely underestimated. Not only does cycling have environmental and health benefits, such as improved air quality, the efficient use of public spaces, and a more active lifestyle, there are also economic and safety reasons for us to invest in walking and cycling. High quality infrastructure for active mobility modes can improve social and economic access and at the same time contribute to retail profitability and more livable neighborhoods in our cities. We are happy to have Carly Gilbert Patrick on today's episode. Carly manages the UN Environment Program team for active mobility, digitalization and mode integration, working with countries around the world to decouple mobility from increasing emissions. She will tell us about the economic, social and ecological advantages of active mobility, why active mobility is being underestimated and what can be done in order to accelerate investment in walking and cycling. So let's listen in. Hi, Carly. Really great to have you at our Tumi podcast. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm actually really happy to have been invited. Thank you. Perfect. So, Carly, when looking at, at city planning, sometimes you, you really get the feeling that the most natural and original forms of transport, like walking or cycling, are still often overlooked. Um, why do you think is this the case? And what can we do to draw more attention to active mobility? Thanks. So I think it's really important to, to realize the magnitude of what we're dealing with here. So, you know, I see the lack of investment in active mobility as something called a wicked problem. It's some it's a social problem or cultural problem. It's definitely not an infrastructure problem because actually around the world we're seeing amazing infrastructure being built. It's just not necessarily for walking and cycling. Um, but it's this social or cultural problem and it's really hard to define. It's many different people with many different opinions. There's a large economic burden and this problem is connected with other problems. So it's not just a straightforward um, problem and there's no simple answer. But if I was to try and define it, I think I'd say that the simple answer is the problem is apathy. There's just a real lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern for the needs of pedestrians and cyclists at an institutional level, um, at the scale that there should be. Um, because I don't see how else we can explain really the imbalance between the number of people walking and cycling around the world, particularly in the global south, and the lack of investment. And on the flip side, there's a huge investment in highways and flyovers, but a very minimum number of people actually driving cars. But like any wicked problem, if you like, there's no that there are many underlying reasons that are much more complex. So I, I see apathy at the top, but then I see all of these sub problems feeding in. So there's no systematic budget planning, which prioritizes walking and cycling in many country. There are often no political champions for the cause. There's also social stigma and the belief that walking and cycling is for the poor. And there's this kind of historic value placed on cars. You know, a city develops and it has cars and that's a sign of success. And I think that's still there, even if it's unspoken. 
And then on top of that, I think that all the methodologies and assessments that are being used by the banks and donors to lend money are very much quite often focused on time saving, which isn't a method that we should be using for measuring walking and cycling. So then the money doesn't get invested in the right places. Anyway, the list goes on, but those are my initial thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. I couldn't agree more. So you mentioned a couple of uh, issues there, but can you maybe tell us also what's the, the benefits of active mobility? Like uh, in a robust transport system, cycling and walking is so important, but yet it's not invested in enough from your point of view. And And can you quickly tell us and our listeners why walking and cycling should be more prominent on the agenda? Sure. So I will 100% say that active mobility should be at the center of any transport system. I mean, first of all, every single person in the world starts and ends their day as a pedestrian. So whether you're getting in a bus, on the car, in a taxi, walking connects everyone to those second modes of transport um, and is also very efficient for short journeys. And then you've got cycling, which opens up access to job opportunities, to health services, um, there have been studies done that show that, you know, providing access to bicycles actually can support reducing um, health issues because people can actually get to their local doctor, say, in 20 minutes on a bike as opposed to an hour and a half walking, especially in peri-urban and rural areas. And active mobility has the least carbon footprint. It takes up the least road space. It doesn't pollute and it's good for our health. Um, so I think there are just so many benefits. And actually, I think everyone knows, I never hear anyone arguing anymore. No, walking and cycling isn't the answer. We all know it's the answer. We all know that the benefits are much more than any other element of the transport system. So it's really taking that jump from knowing what the benefits are to doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, now I would like to know, uh, you mentioned that there is still a lack of investment, uh, even though we all know that uh, active mobility should play a more prominent role. But what does UNEP do, for example, very specifically in, in terms of financing active mobility? And how can we also in general increase um, the investment in active mobility? So, I mean, like you say, there are billions of dollars being spent on transport. The funds are there, but the investment scales, as I call them, are skewed. So there's still way too much investment in highways, flyovers, new vehicle technologies, digitalization. And of course, that's needed. But what's urgently needed is the investment in pedestrians and cyclists. So that's why the majority of people still struggle every day to walk and cycle in unsafe and poor conditions. And I think, you know, governments and development partners really have a big role to play in changing those investment scales. And I think the first key step is awareness. Um, and it's why we're currently at UNEP, we're analysing the state of financing for walking and cycling globally. And we'll be publishing a report of the findings at the end of the year. And we've also set up a small working group of development banks to understand their processes for kind of giving loans and grants and how we can work together. And we're also supporting governments directly with developing and launching city and national policies for walking and cycling. And I very much see them as the kind of lighting, the match lighting the fire. So where there are countries that really aren't thinking about pedestrians and cyclists, we can kind of go in and support them and raise that awareness on the needs 
and then help them develop and launch the policy so they kind of have a vision and a roadmap on on what they need to do. So that's that's really how we work and how we're kind of supporting that transition to prioritising pedestrians and cyclists. Mm-hmm. I see. And um, uh, when I look at the at the news, uh, I see a lot of yeah news about how COVID changed the public perception also about active mobility when thinking about pop-up bike lanes, for example, which have been really present. I wonder, can we make use of this momentum right now to place the active mobility sector more on the agenda? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at the at a high level, the global pandemic has really shone a light on how important and integrated and just transport system is, coupled with this kind of heightened increased environmental awareness. And like you said, at a practical level, there's all this tactical urbanism that's coming up with temporary bike lanes and sidewalks. And that's really demonstrated, again, how easily and quickly and at quite a low cost compared to other parts of the transport system, at quite a low cost, we can introduce infrastructure that keeps the masses safe and comfortable. Um, and I think we are seeing this kind of momentum of increased investment for active mobility. I'd say it's still not fast enough and it's not at scale enough, but the momentum is growing at least. And there's this great opportunity to kind of build back better and not lose, if you like, the lessons that we've learned and the new ways of doing things that we've had during COVID. And I think something else which has really had a huge impact kind of during this COVID is the need not to be mobile. Um, we've realized we don't need to move so much. And actually, I think it's one of the biggest areas, one of the biggest mobility trends will be not moving. Um, and we've gone from, you know, pretty much a huge majority of people being in the office nine to five to literally almost 100% of people working from home 24-7. And it's something we never would have dreamed of. And all of the policies for flexible working and all of the advocacy, really, it's the pandemic that you know, pushed that transition. I already know of at least one, two companies in Nairobi where I live who've made the change officially permanent and actually announced we're never going back to the office. We're closing down our lease and everyone will work from home. Um, so, you know, I really see, really see that happening. And I think there are also lots of trends around ride sharing and electric mobility and digitalization. But fundamentally, as much as we need the mobility world to progress like any other industry. Fundamentally, in large parts of the world, up to 90% of people are using active mobility. And it might not be trendy, but it's a fact. And I think the majority of investment needs to focus on that big group. Absolutely. And you mentioned a lot of trends now. And I'm happy that you did. But who can really make those trends maybe big scale or permanent, I wonder, who do you think are the, the most important change makers around the world as far as active mobility is concerned? Wow, there are so many. <laughs> um, I think, you know, if you look at it from micro up to macro, so at a, at a, there are great individuals working tirelessly at a local at a local level there are probably too many to name but you know there's some really like for example constant cap in nairobi and amanda nagaburino in uganda and emmanuel john in nigeria so individuals 
working independently or in small NGOs or universities who have tirelessly been working on advocating for increased investment for active mobility. Then you've also got some really great university players who are kind of instrumental in making sure we continue to build the research and evidence base, such as University of Cape Town and University of Nairobi. Then you've got a great group of international organizations. You know, Walk 21 Foundation is leading the way globally in advocating for the needs of pedestrians and other NGOs such as ITDP and the World Resource Institute and C40 Cities and ICLEI. There are so many. There's this really big community, you know, including yourselves who are doing this podcast series, who are supporters of active mobility in all regions of the world. And government-wise, we're seeing really great leadership in Rwanda and Ethiopia and Kenya, to name a few. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons that at UNEP, we've, for the first region, we focus on Africa. We've set up an Africa network for walking and cycling to try and convene all of these change makers because there's so much happening and there are lots of smaller networks and informal networks. Um, and we we're trying to bring everyone together at least three times a year so we can really have a full understanding of what's happening on active mobility in the Africa region. And it's something that we hope to replicate in the other regions over the next year or so. Interesting. Okay, this Africa network, can you maybe say how this works or who are the most important players? And yeah, how do you um, bring the change forward there in this network? I would be interested to know. Yeah, sure. So what we what we realized is there was a real... We'd, I'd often get a call from, a say, a national government, a director of transport or an engineer saying, you know, we're thinking about introducing some school zones, but I don't have any data on school zones. What are they and how do they work? So then I might connect him to someone in a university who's doing a research project on that. Or I might get a call from an international NGO saying, we want to go and work in Rwanda. Um, are you working there? And I'll say, yes, we have a project there. But I also know two other NGOs who are doing projects there on mobility. So we kind of realize that there's this kind of need to have this central hub, like actually a, an online space, but also a space where people can talk to each other um, and really kind of one, share information, but also eventually start being more proactive in, in working together jointly. So rather than having three or four separate projects in Nigeria, those four NGOs could kind of pre-plan and, and plan a work program together that's complementary, as an example. And we can also put governments in touch with each other so that we're, we're having a kind of meeting every, three times a year as a whole network. But the way we're working is we have these kind of working groups that sit within the network. So we have a working group on financing. We have a working group on data. There's one on government technical assistance and support, um, knowledge products and advocacy. So the idea is members can opt into as many or as few working groups as they want and really work closely with a very big group with kind of common um, or interlinking goals and objectives. So that's it. It's an open membership. You just have to kind of contact us and let us know. And it's just, we just launched um, in November last year and we've had the first meeting of the year and working out our working group terms of reference. We're still very early days, but we've already got over 50 organizations signed up. Uh, that sounds very impressive and uh, keep up the good work on that note. Thank you. And, uh, and maybe uh, coming to a different topic, which I also saw when uh, reading through your, your experience, I saw that you also work in the area of, of course, uh, non-motorized transport, but also bus rapid transit. And I was wondering, how would you best 
uh, integrate like public transport with the active mobility sphere? Yeah, sure. I mean, and I think I said earlier that, you know, everyone starts their day as a pedestrian. So there's this kind of natural synergy, which you cannot avoid, that in order to get people to use your bus service, they need to be able to get there safely and comfortably, especially if you're trying to introduce a bus rapid transit or even just to formalize the existing bus service, even if it's not bus rapid transit, in order to do that, you have to have that first and last mile connectivity. Now, if people can't get to the bus stop safely, they will keep using their Uber or their motorbike or their car. So you kind of need the whole package, not just from it can't just be lovely being on the bus. It needs to be comfortable getting to the bus and when you get off the bus where you're going. So there's this kind of natural synergy where if you get walking and infrastructure for walking right, you also improve um, your bus uptake. And the same goes for cycling. There's an affinity there and it's a you know a bit more of a next step. But there are some cities, particularly in Latin America, which actually use public bike share as a feeder service to the buses. So where it's not viable to have smaller bus services, actually having a really well-designed public bike share scheme can act as a feeder to bus rapid transit or other public transport services such as metro so there's a yeah there's a real synergy there and we whilst share the road which is one of the programs i run at unep is very focused on walking and cycling we always try and tie up where there are going to be public transport projects so right now in dakar in senegal for example they're planning a and mass rapid transit project and we're providing some support to the city government to think about walkability and the needs of pedestrians because actually Dakar has 90% modal share for for walking so it's really important that they they work on the design hand in hand um so yeah lots of great opportunities to help each other yeah i agree You mentioned now that, for example, the public bike share schemes uh, are well suited as a feeder uh, and uh, to leverage synergies between the two. I would also would be interested to know, uh, you mentioned before some trends like e-mobility, for example. Uh, how would you assess the e-mobility trend when it comes to active mobility? Can e-mobility induce a mode shift when thinking, for example, about electric bicycles? Yeah, I think, you know, I always, you know, I always say I love my car and I love my bike and I love walking and I like taking and I love taking the bus. Like there's the whole point of a robust transport system is giving people options. And at the moment, what we're seeing is there are just not enough options and therefore you find people shy away from walking and cycling because it's not a comfortable or safe option and it pushes these high motorization rates and these congestions but if you can give options then you know of of course they can be complementary so electric mobility and we're actually talking to a few partners at the moment about the role of electric mobility for active mobility what are the synergies and i think there's a few things to remember one is the context of the different country situations and And, you know, there are parts of Africa and Asia and Latin America and even in Eastern Europe and North America where there are large segments of the community who will not be able to afford an electric bike. And therefore, we can't get too excited and we must start with the basics of providing safe infrastructure for the people at the lowest cost possible. So there have to be options that people can walk and cycle safely with a regular bike. But of course, you want to then look at other segments of the market 
who maybe would be thinking about getting a motorbike, but if you if you gave them an option of a cost-effective, really cool e-bike, then they would take that option. So yes, I see them as complementary as long as we get the hierarchy of need right and we and city cities, I think, yes, should be thinking about electric mobility, but hand in hand with thinking about active mobility. Okay. I mean, I absolutely take away that uh, from your point of view, infrastructure, safe and good infrastructure, it really is key. But also uh, what I really like is that you say we have to give uh, everyone attractive options and not just maybe prioritize uh, some transport option, which might not be even uh, the most sustainable one. So, Kali, I would say thank you so much for talking to us. It's been really great fun. And I really appreciate this outlook you gave. And again, thanks a lot for your time to join us and share your experience in the field of active mobility and also your vision. And as I said before, keep up the good work and I hope to speak to you soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, Carly, for giving us an inside look at the benefits of investing in walking and cycling. We now have a better understanding of the role of promotion and investing in active transport modes on local, regional and international levels. We hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We enjoyed sharing our experiences in active mobility with you. As always, thanks for tuning in and hear you next time.